Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory is presented by Felix Savatis Mercedes-Benz of South Charlotte, Charlotte's premier Mercedes-Benz dealer and the Carolinas' number one volume sales leader. Over 300 new and 200 pre-owned vehicles always available. Visit mbcharlotte.com. As a governor, mayor, businessman, I know the game been played by the game. Now we are exposing the game for you. This is Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McRory. You know Bill O'Reilly as a journalist, author, and television and radio host. Bill reported for local television stations and later for CBS News and ABC News. He anchored the television program Inside Edition from 1989 to 1995 and he joined the Fox News Channel in 1996. Bill hosted The O'Reilly Factor, the highest-rated cable news show for 16 years until 2017. Bill hosted the Radio Factor that had more than 3 million listeners. Bill O'Reilly has authored or co-authored over two dozen books, most recently Killing the SS, The Hunt for the Worst War Criminals in History. Bill is back and on the radio with the O'Reilly Update every weekday on over 160 stations across the country. Bill O'Reilly, welcome to Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory. One question and one question only. Give me an example of the good, the bad, and the outrageous or funny with politics that you've personally encountered in your long historic life. Bill, first give me an example of the good in politics that you've personally Um, encountered. I was behind the scenes working with President Obama on the mentoring, um, my brother's keeper program. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that President Obama got a little distracted, but that was an example to me of how national politics can really help individuals who need help. So just a quick reminder that the um, Brothers Keeper was to match up, uh, use federal funding to match up uh, very successful Americans with inner-city youth on a one-on-one basis. So basically uh, the poor um, kid uh, in his teens would then have somebody to rely on to, to bring him through to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think a political program gets any better than that. So I worked with President Obama on it. Um, I promoted it on my te- television program. I went to the White House a couple of times, talked to him about it. I, I had wished it gotten it got more traction because I think that's the best example I can come up with of a positive political situation. Well, mentoring is personal to me. I started the Mayor's Mentoring Alliance when I was mayor, and I'm, I'm still now I'm mentoring the children of the kids that I mentored 20 years ago. So it right. is personal to me. Well, how did the White House, on this personal example, the Obama White House, contact Bill O'Reilly? I mean, you know how Bill O'Reilly and the Obamas wasn't necessarily a, a – uh, 
great relationship, at least according to President Obama. Did they personally call you and say, hey, Bill Riley, we want you to be a part of this program? Did you call them? Yes, Valerie Jarrett, the uh, huh. consigliere sure. uh, in the White House, personally <laughs> called me. I had a pretty good relationship with the president, uh, Governor. You may remember I interviewed him three times. Yeah. He got annoyed with me because I, I asked him tough questions like I ask everybody. Um, but I think he respected the fact that I was looking uh, out for the country, uh, that I wasn't an ideologue, that I didn't oppose him because he was a Democrat, because I'm a registered independent. I'm not a party apparatchnik. Um, and, I, and behind the scenes, you know, I had a lot of good conversations with Barack Obama. So it wasn't as uh, strange as it might seem. Um, and he knew that uh, in order to get this uh, program publicized, uh, a big cannon like the O'Reilly Factor was going to help him. So that's how it came about. So when Valerie gave you a call, Valerie Jarrett, who really ran the White House during the Obama yeah, year, she, she was the most powerful person in the eight years of the Obama administration based upon my observation as a mayor and a governor during that time. Um, no doubt. So when um, she called liked, you what? Uh, Ms. Jarrett, because she was responsive to me. So if I had a question or I, I needed an answer or something like that, I could call her, get her on the phone. She was respectful, um, and I thought she uh, was a very good conduit, um, and um, I thought she did her job well. But you are absolutely right, Governor. Behind the scenes, and not many Americans know this, Valerie Jarrett wielded an enormous amount of power. And she was close to Michelle, too, which showed right, her power within that White House. Were, were locked in. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So when, when Valerie Jarrett gave you a call, do you think she was expecting cooperation? Or maybe was, was this just kind of a, an invitation which I know will be rejected? No. They know me well enough to, uh, at that point to know that I was a person who, who believes that um, retail politics is the answer to most of our problems in the USA. And then that I had written books about how I, as a former high school teacher, um, was encouraging politicians to knock off the rhetoric and get down, as you did when you were mayor, uh, to really solving the problems with your own hands. And so Jarrett knew that. Um, so I think she knew I would be receptive to it. It was very flattering for me to go to the White House and be greeted by the president mm -hmm. and acknowledged as somebody who wants to solve this problem. Real quick, before we move on to the bad of politics, uh, do you have an example of uh, you mentoring a young kid who, uh, you know, here you, a person of a huge public figure, uh, and what did you learn from it? Well, I had uh, three kids in the Big Brother program, mm -hmm. and I stay with them their whole lives. Uh, still with them. Great. Uh, they're adults now. Same thing um, with and me. I uh, think I, I helped them out a lot. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know I did. They didn't have a father, and um, at first I was assigned to the oldest girl, but then, uh, you know, when I walk in the house, I see these other two kids, you know, looking at me, and I go, okay, everybody's going. We're all going. Right. And then I stayed with the three. So I, I have done it, um, and uh, I know it works. How, what did you learn from them? I know they learned a lot from you. What did you learn from them? What did you take well, from I that Well, I mean, I'm a person who wants to uh, – it's, it's a little complicated. To, I could tell you, well, I learned compassion, or I learned sure. this, or I learned that. But I, I want to give a, your audience a bigger lesson. Um, 
I, I believe in the nobility of America, and I believe that the American people are the most generous on earth and that every single one of us deserves an equal shot to pursue happiness. That's what I believe. That's my core belief. So when I had those three kids and I saw the benefits that I could give them, what I learned was the benefits that they gave me back Hmm. by succeeding, by being good people, by being kind to their uh, little playmates, which I emphasized Mm -hmm. uh, in my um, time with them. So when I saw that my lessons were, were really taking root, I mean, that gave me an enormous amount of um, satisfaction. Wow. All right. That's a great example of the good in politics. And we, plus, we learned something about you that uh, most people in public, and, and like, like you, I, didn't, I don't advertise what I did. This was no, a, I something that I, I like wanted to do, and I gained a great deal of benefit from it, and I still love those the kids that I, I mentored, I was with one of them last night, in fact. Uh, the bad in politics, a personal example of the bad in politics, which just makes you cringe. The Barney Frank episode. Uh, the congressman from Massachusetts mm-hmm. I had known for a long time because I went to school in Boston and worked up there in local news. Um, I never particularly liked uh, Mr. Frank. But he would come on my program and debate uh, issues, and he was feisty, and it was good television. Mm -hmm. So if you Google O'Reilly Barney Frank, you're going to come up to an interview that I did with him um, where I called him a liar to his face. And it all had to do with Freddie Mae and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Mm -hmm. After the recession of 2008, where millions of Americans got hurt because of bogus mortgages Mm -hmm. um, that were backed by this federal program that Barney Frank oversaw, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, I was, uh, I had some questions for the congressman. So we played a clip from him on CNBC where he said, well, Freddie uh, Mac and Fannie Mae are the greatest things and blah, 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 blah. This was before the recession. And then it turned out that they were uh, poorly run and hurt the country. Well, he denied saying that he said uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were good. I I just played the clip. I said, Congressman, I just played a clip of you saying it, and now you're denying what everybody saw on videotape. Oh, no, you always do this. And he tried to attack me, and I let him have it. I really let him have it right between the eyes. Very controversial. Um, some thought I was disrespectful to uh, the congressman. I'll cop to that. But it was so egregious, and nobody's going to lie to me to my face on my television program. That's not happening. So I would think that was uh, <laughs> leads the league in uh, <laughs> bad stuff. What was the ramf- were the ramifications from that, both for you or for yeah, Barney? There were, there were a little bit. I got called in uh, by the authorities at Fox News and told that I was disrespectful. And I said, yeah, so what? I'm a wise guy. I mean, I, I'm not going to be intimidated by anybody. I mean, I've never been intimidated by anybody, including my employer, which hasn't made them very happy. Um, so I, I, uh, yeah, I was disrespectful. He deserved it. And that was my line. They didn't like it, but my ratings were so high that, I mean, it really couldn't do much about it. What were the ramifications for Barney Frank? Any, did he ever you know, come back I think on? Frank, 
I think Frank actually came back on the air after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It took him a while, but he came back. I think Frank was angry that I called him out. Um, I don't think ramifications politically. I mean, Massachusetts is as left-wing as you get. I mean, he had a district where he could have never shown up and he would have got reelected. It's crazy, but it's true. So I don't think there were any ramifications in a professional way for Mr. Frank, but I think he was really seething in a personal way. It might have hurt him professionally, though, and because you're right. I mean, the whole the whole program ended up really being a scam in so many areas that uh, oh, it was awful, and he was in charge of it. Yeah, and and you know you know if you're going to make a mistake at that level. You got to acknowledge the mistake, and he wouldn't. And yeah. that's the bad part of politics. Yeah, and that was a bipartisan scam for many, many years because I, yep. I watched that. The so-called affordable housing was the big initiative when I was mayor, and mayors were a part of this scam too. By the way, of uh, you know everyone needs a home, and how that got interpreted is even people who need a home who can't afford it, and uh, we ended up causing more harm than good by pushing that agenda for probably over a decade. No and doubt. Uh, uh, so you called it out, and you called it out ironically before the recession hit. So. It was just after. Oh, was uh, it? When uh, everything was tottering. Yeah. Um, and uh, it had been exposed that, that these two government programs had contributed to the uh, bogus mortgage craze, as you just pointed out. And that's what the uh, background was, because I was so angry that, Everybody had to suffer economically because of this scam that I wanted to hold people like Barney Frank accountable. It was a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> no doubt about yeah, no it. No doubt. The outrageous or funny in politics that you've personally dealt with? Um, I think Jesse Ventura <laughs> would, would do both of those. Wow. Wow. The man who beat Norm, Norm Coleman, Coleman for governor. Yeah. One of the great upsets. Norm Coleman was running against Humphrey, and here a championship wrestler comes out and wins on uh, a day where you can register to vote the day you vote. And that was one of the big ramifications of that. Well, what was the funny thing about Jesse Ventura and you? In the beginning, Ventura was uh, a populist guy who basically made fun of the hacks who had made politics their entire existence. And, and he, he was enormously appealing. Mm-hmm. And he had some good lines, and he would come on, and, he, and he'd shake it up. And, and I could see why he won, why he captured the imagination of people in Minnesota um, with his accent and his, you know, the, mm-hmm. the predator and all of that business, you know. Um, but then... <laughs> And, you know, so I, I was, he was entertaining. He looked to me like he was sincere. He wanted to do good things for people. He was funny, irrelevant. Uh, he'd say anything. But then he takes this turn into the conspiratorial craziness and becomes an absolute loon. I mean, it was amazing. Um, I don't know him that well. I mean, he doesn't like me at all now. In the beginning he did because he was on the show a lot and we uh, went back and forth. But then... I started to say, wait a minute, Governor, you can't be saying stuff like this. It's irresponsible. You can't back it up. And you've got uh, a responsibility to your constituency to be honest and, and stop this nonsense. And he didn't like that. He wanted to be held accountable. 
So anyway, um, he, uh, people will remember vaguely, um, was at one time considering a third-party run for president. Oh, I remember. I remember. Yeah. He was and, making a lot of money uh, there for had, a while, too. He had, you know, he basically paved the way for Donald Trump. I was wondering if there you saw a correlation between Jesse no, and no Donald. Yeah. Was Jesse— so Trump saw that. Yeah. Um, and in my upcoming book, uh, The United States of Trump, um, I talked to him about that. He saw how guys like Ventura could succeed when they had no political experience, and that lit that fire um, for the president. Yeah. So the Ventura thing, to me, uh, was you know weird, wacky, and uh, <laughs> I don't know what the third one is. Well, you know, what's interesting. Ventura appealed to the working man and spoke oh, no, their no language, the, the more no, rural blue collar, uh, the no people BS who felt guy. like they were being ignored and looked yep. down upon and spoke against the guys who could fix your car and the college educated people like myself who thought we were smarter than they were. And we didn't even know how to find the, you know, how to change the oil. I think right. that's the appeal of both of them. Well, there's no doubt that Ventura and Trump have a lot in common um, in their campaign style and who they went after and how they framed the issues to appeal to working Americans. So um, that was one that I followed back then and then uh, translated into what's happening now. Have you followed up with him at all since then? What's happened to Ventura? Ventura? You know, he's fallen on hard times. Um, I, I, I think he's out in California. Um, you know, last time I saw him, he didn't look well. Hmm. Um, so I don't think life is going great for Jesse at this point. He had his 15 minutes of fame and then Longer disappeared. Than that, I mean, when yeah. you're the governor of a state, I mean, that's a, that's that's pretty impressive. Up, as you know better than yeah. anybody. Yeah. I mean, you can help and hurt people at a, at a remarkable level. Norm Coleman, I always joke with Norm Coleman, a good friend of him. He lost to a wrestler, and he beat a vice president. I think Norm Coleman's had the most two unique campaigns ever in political and history. And then he lost to Franken. And then he lost to a comedian. <laughs> Who is a devil. He, he, I mean, so, Franken, you don't get oh, worse than him. So he, isn't that amazing? Norm Coleman from Minnesota lost to a wrestler beat a vice president in Mondale after the tragic death of their U.S. senator and then lost to a comedian. I yeah. think there's a book there and a, a, a movie. Well, if Norm would tell the truth. You know, if he would tell the truth, there's certainly a book there. I think it would be. Hey, Bill Riley, we're honored to have you on WBT every day at 1145, and we're honored to have your radio show. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people don't know your history with CBS News and your deep reporting, and, and we love your books also. So uh, it's an honor to have you on my podcast, and thanks for some great stories. Sure, Governor. I hope to see you soon. Thanks for having me in. Take care. Bill Riley on the Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory. To contact the show, email Show at WBT.com. You can hear more from Pat every weekday morning from 8 to 10 on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT or at WBT on Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. 
Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull. Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.